0: Our first scripture reading is 1 John chapter 3 and I'll be reading verses 16 through 18 in 1 John chapter 3. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Thank you. You may be seated. Our second scripture reading is found in Mark chapter 10, and I'll be reading verses 35 through 45 in Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In our Lenten series today, we focus on the discipline of service. The author of our study again quotes Dallas Willard, In service, we engage our goods and strength in the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. The active promotion, using our goods for the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God. In celebration of discipline, Richard Foster writes, true service is a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human need. Our passage for Mark is a familiar one. I've preached on it several times. It's also recorded in Matthew and Luke. In fact, James and John's mother asked the same thing of Jesus Can one of my boys sit on your right and one on the left when you come in your glory? Who's going to be the greatest? So, this is obviously a topic the gospel writers thought was extremely important. And again, we read Jesus' response from our passage today. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. I'm going to do something that I've done from time to time. I'm going to preach word for word from the text of someone else's sermon. Fifty years ago, this past February 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a sermon entitled, The Drum Major Instinct was at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. In this sermon, he acknowledges the fact that many people desire recognition. They desire to be first. He calls this desire the drum major instinct. But he proposes an alternative kind of ambition one can achieve through a life of service. He said, I just want to leave a committed life behind. Rather prophetically, Dr. King discusses in the conclusion what he would like to be said about him at his own funeral. I might add that King's sermon was an adaptation of the 1952 sermon entitled Drum Major Instincts by J. Wallace Hamilton, a Methodist minister. Remember, this is from Martin Luther King Jr. 50 years ago this past month, and it's only an excerpt, not the entire sermon. He says, we all want to be important to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. Alfred Adler, the great psychoanalyst, contends that this is the dominant impulse. Sigmund Freud used to contend that sex was the dominant impulse, and Adler came with a new argument, saying that this quest for recognition, this desire for attention, This desire for distinction is the basic impulse, the basic drive of human life. This drum major instinct. And you know, we begin early to ask life to put us first. Our first cry as a baby was a bid for attention. And all through childhood, the drum major impulse or instinct is a major obsession. Children ask life to grant them first place. They are a little bundle of ego, and they have innately the drum major impulse or the drum major instinct. Now, in adult life, we still have it, and we never really get by it. We like to do something good, and you know we like to be praised for it. Now, if you don't believe that, you just go on living life, and you will discover very soon that you like to be praised Everybody likes it, as a matter of fact, and somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or when our name is in print is something of the vitamin A to our ego. Nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they know they don't deserve it and even if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of the real Drum major instinct. Now the presence of the drum major instinct is why so many people are joiners. You know, there are some people who just join everything, and it's really a quest for attention and recognition and importance. And they get names that give them that impression. So you get your groups, and they become the grand patron. And the little fellow who is henpecked at home needs a chance to be the most worthy of the most worthy of something. It is the drum major impulse and the longing that runs the gamut of human life. And so we see it everywhere, this quest for recognition. And we join things, overjoin really, that we think that we will find recognition in. There comes a time that the drum major instinct can become destructive. And he says, that's where I want to move now. He says, I want to move to the point of saying that if this instinct is not harnessed, it becomes a very dangerous, pernicious instinct. For instance, if it isn't harnessed, it causes one's personality to become distorted. I guess that's the most damaging aspect of it, what it does to the personality. If it isn't harnessed, you will end up day in and day out trying to deal with your ego problem by boasting. Have you ever heard people that, you know, I'm sure you've met them, that really become sickening because they just sit up all the time talking about themselves. And they just boast and boast and boast. And that's the person who has not harnessed the drum major instinct. Now the other thing is that it leads to tragic, and we've seen it happen so often, tragic race prejudice. Many who have written about this problem, Lillian Smith, used to say it beautifully in some of her books. And she would say it to the point of getting men and women to see the source of the problem. Do you know that a lot of the race problem grows out of the drum major instinct? A need that some people have to feel superior. A need that some people have to feel that they are first. And to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first. And they have said over and over again in ways that we see with our own eyes. In fact, not too long ago, and this is from 50 years ago, a man down in Mississippi said that God was a charter member of the White Citizens Council. And so God being the charter member means that everybody who's in that has a kind of divinity, a kind of superiority. And think of what has happened in history as a result of this perverted use of the drum major instinct. It has led to the most tragic prejudice, the most tragic expressions of man's inhumanity against man. And not only does this thing go into the racial struggle, it goes into the struggle between nations. And I would submit to you this morning that what is wrong in the world today is that the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. And if something doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. If somebody doesn't bring an end to this suicidal thrust that we see in the world today, none of us are going to be around because somebody's going to make the mistake through our senseless blunderings of dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere. And then another one is going to drop. And don't let anybody fool you. This can happen within a matter of seconds. They have 20 megaton bombs in Russia right now that can destroy a city as big as New York in three seconds with everybody wiped away in every building. And we can do the same thing to Russia and China. But this is why we are drifting, and we are drifting there because nations are caught up with the drum major instinct. I must be first. I must be supreme. Our nation must rule the world. And at this point in his sermon, he gets back to talking about our passage with the request of James and John. He says, But let me rush on to my conclusion because I want you to see what Jesus was really saying. What was the answer that Jesus gave these men? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them, one would have thought that Jesus would have said, You're out of place, you're selfish. Why should you raise such a question? But that isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He said in substance, Oh, I see you want to be first. You want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, Yes, Don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love, I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it? He said, now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. He says, and this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. He says, I know a man, and I just want to talk about him a minute, and maybe you'll discover who I'm talking about as I go down the way because he was a great one and he just went about serving. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a poor peasant woman, and then he grew up in still another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he just got up on his feet and he was an itinerant preacher. And he went about doing some things. He didn't have much. He never wrote a book. He never held an office never had a family, never owned a house, he never went to college, he never visited a big city, he never went 200 miles from where he was born, he did none of the usual things that the world would associate with greatness, he had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. They called him a rabble rouser. They called him a troublemaker. They said he was an agitator. He practiced civil disobedience. He broke injunctions. And so he was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. And the irony of it all is that his friends turned him over to them. One of his closest friends denied him. Another of his friends turned him over to his enemies. And while he was dying, the people who killed him gambled for his clothing the only possession that he had in the world. When he was dead, he was buried in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he stands as the most influential figure that ever entered human history. All of the armies that ever marched, all of the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of the man on earth as much as that one solitary life. His name may be a familiar one, but today I can hear them talking about him. Every now and then somebody says, he's king of kings. And again, I can hear somebody saying, he's lord of lords. Somewhere else I can hear somebody saying, in Christ there is no east or west. And then they go on to talk about in him there's no north and south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide world. He didn't have anything. He just went about serving and doing good. This morning, you can be on his right hand and his left hand if you serve. It's the only way in. He concludes this way. He says, every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something that we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then, I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral, and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. And every now and then, I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around When I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That's not important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Junior tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the Master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for my own selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. Two months later to the day, April 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis. He left behind a life of service. He left behind a committed life. Recall the words of Dallas Willard. In service, we engage our goods and strength in the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. The question that I leave with you today, what life will you leave behind? Let's pray.